Welcome to an episode of Bands and Botanicals, a unique podcast where a trainer and trainee talk about herbal medicine and fitness. We're your hosts. My name is Danielle Kreese, and I'm a certified personal trainer and owner of DC Fit. And we also have Paula Kirsch, who's an artisanal herbalist and owner of Botanically Curious. So let's go ahead and start the show. Welcome back to another episode of Bands and Botanicals. My name is Danielle, and you can find me on Instagram at Danielle M. Crease, and I'm with the lovely Paula. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Um, You can find me on Instagram at botanically underscore curious if you guys want to reach out. And today we have a really fun episode with a guest. Yes, we're excited. Um, It's an international guest as well, so we're getting fancy. Right, all the way from Portugal. We have Becca here today. Hi, Becca. (laughs) Hi. So um, Becca is a yoga teacher, and we'll talk a little bit about that later today, and a trainee of medical herbalism, uh, and Becca is an advocate for slow living, which is something that we're really interested to dive into today. She's a home herbalist, uh, and she is really interested in self-care rituals, something that she uh, often practices. She loves to weave self-care throughout her day and enjoy inspiring others to do the same. And she believes with balance of yin yoga, meditation, herbal remedies, and time in nature, we can all live happier, healthier lives, which I think, yeah. Ben, I I could not agree more. Right. So... um, We understand that you're currently studying herbalism through Heartwood, Heartwood in the UK. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I'm. I did the foundation year, and now in my first year of the professional course. Yeah. Very cool. So, what is? Are you able to just given the current climate of everything? Are you able to work hands on with the herbs and with a teacher? Or are you having to do everything online? Just out of curiosity. Um, so actually, Heartwood has always been an online course. They set it up so it's accessible, so anyone can do it from anywhere in the world. Um, so actually, I do all of the course online, but there's quite a lot of interaction because we have to obviously make our own um, herbal blends. And I also go to a herbal farm here in Portugal and get a lot of hands-on action with herbs that way. Um but yeah it's always been online which I think is really great and then when you go into your third year the second year the professional course you then do um, clinical training and then you have to go to the UK or this I think that I believe there's some practitioners in Canada as well mm-hmm. and then you work in a clinic and you get the the real experience of treating patients with herbs so it's a bit of both at the moment it's all online which is great during during COVID so yeah yeah. Oh, that sounds, I'm interested. Very I'm interested in that. I like to know that it's so yeah. possible to everyone. Yes. Yeah, it's really great. You and your partner just kind of recently moved to Portugal, right? And you're actually living by the ocean now, which sounds amazing. I would love to be living by the ocean. Yeah, it's really great here. Um, yeah, we moved just a few months ago um, from Holland. Mm. So, yeah. Well, living by the ocean, we actually just had an episode talking to a surfer and we were talking a little bit about, what is it, blue therapy, I guess? And and the idea oh. that, you know, being around water just helps relieve stress and helps kind of with your wellness in general. And I'm assuming that you're feeling that and experiencing it while living by the ocean in Portugal. Yeah, that's really interesting because it's actually one of the reasons we moved here is because I've always been drawn to living near water. Um, I grew up a part of my childhood in Geneva, which is on a big lake called Lake Geneva. And I've always had that kind of affinity with water. So it's really interesting that there's now been, you know, there's work going on saying that that's good for your mental health. And I think it is. It's like we're near the Atlantic Ocean. So it's very dramatic ocean as well, which is Mm -hmm. quite at the moment, it's very stormy here because it's winter. So but even that has its own kind of charm to it, I think the storms. and Oh, Oh, yeah, uh, the power like for us on the Oregon coast, the power of the ocean is really prominent. I'm from Miami. And we're not used to, you know, big waves or anything or crashing waves or big rocks. I mean, everything's pretty calm um on our side of the ocean over there but 
you know, moving here, I could appreciate the winter swells you're talking about because right. you really get to feel like the full gravity, I think, mm-hmm. of, of what yeah. the ocean can do during the winter. Yeah, it's true. And how big a force it is compared to us. Yes, oh, 100%. <laughs> so you have an interest in folk herbalism and uh, with the current kind of scientific research that's been uh, practiced with herbalism, we're going to talk today a little bit about how you hope to kind of combine the two, right? Yeah. Neat. I mean, I guess that I guess that works with the yin and the yang, maybe of what you're trying to establish in your life, I assume, because there should be, I think, a balance of old medicine and, and kind of new, mm-hmm. new discoveries and new perspectives and new ideas and stuff. Yeah, that's, that's really true. And I think um, Western herbalism has um, less research around it than, say, for example, traditional Chinese herbal medicine. Right. Um, but now there's a lot more scientific research being done. Um, but one of the problems, obviously, with scientific research is they just take a constituent of the herb. They don't mm-hmm. test the entire herb. Um, so, oh. um, you know, with folk herbalism, you work with the whole plant. And with herbalism, you do as well. But obviously, when they try and do clinical trials with herbs, you miss out a little bit of what the plant will actually do in a human body if you're just testing one chemical constituent. So there's always, like, the balance of looking at what the whole plant can do as well as what its constituents can do and I think sometimes with medical herbalism it can go a little bit too far down the road of everything has to be scientific and proven Mm -hmm. whereas folk herbalism is a lot more about intuition and we've we've always been with plants you know humans and plants have evolved together so it's we we kind of intuitively know without knowing why and I think folk herbalism adds that um energetic and more spiritual element to the practice yeah, absolutely. Well, that's why we do these botanical herbal um, cards every episode in the beginning. We pull one because it's so interesting to see this these herbs and the folklore behind them in this book. And then just to really see how, like you said, you know, some of these things aren't tested, but there's probably a reason why for thousands of years they've potentially used this uh, as a remedy for something. You know, there's something to that. And um, coincidentally yeah. enough, today uh, we pulled the clover. But is it coincidence? Because I know. <laughs> the plants show up. I mean, every time we pull yeah. a card, they've been able to kind of like work with the day that we're having, even the topic we're having sometimes, the guests right. that we're having. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of what you're saying with folk herbalism versus the more uh, current medical herbalism i guess is the the magic right. that's in the plants yeah. and like and so, in then, so right. what did we pull today paula yeah so clover has the uh, oracle property of nurture and you know i use clover a lot in some of the teas that i do i love all of the benefits that it has especially for skin women's health you know you've got your vitamin c which is really important calcium potassium phosphorus magnesium, all of those really important kind of vitamins and minerals that you'll get when you're kind of using those. Um, But the nurture aspect of it is really interesting because here with our guest today, we're going to be talking a little bit more about yin yoga and slow living, which I think, you know, those those self-care practices that Becca is going to be talking about is something that, you know, whether it's during COVID or when things start to pick up again, how do we hold on to that? It's going to be really interesting. Uh, teach me your ways, Becca. <laughs> I speak okay. about slowing down, but it's another thing to actually slow down. And, you know, always easier said than done. So, yeah, it's really cool that we pulled that and that we could tie it into the way that you seem to live your life. I mean, daily. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you say that, though, because I also used to find it really hard to slow down. So <laughs> I'm, I'm quite a, that's why I feel I'm quite a good person to maybe help other people because I'm not naturally a slow living person. It takes it took practice. <laughs> yes, I mean, uh, Paul and I were literally just talking about how for some people, it's almost a discipline mm-hmm. to slow down. You know, whereas all the time you hear about it's a discipline to feel motivated all the time or to feel like you need to keep going or keep striving. But it's a discipline in itself to know when you need to, you know, just shut things down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I need to learn that discipline. So (laughs) 
<laughs> so let's learn <laughs> this discipline. So, uh, well, one of the first things that piqued my interest was that you are a yoga instructor because I'm a fitness instructor, but we both have two completely different ways that we would do fitness. I mean, I still, I love slowing it down. I love being really, really mindful and intuitive and, and um, holding integrity in your movements and in your form. But at the same time, I'm definitely a little bit more high intensity um, on a regular yeah. basis. So can you explain to us a little bit about, you know, what yin yoga is and, and, and how it differs from the standard workout where you're trying to, you know, pick up your heart rate and contract your muscles a lot and all of that. Yeah, of course. So um, yin yoga is actually a very different form of yoga to many yoga practices you'll see. Um, you hold the poses um, for three to up to 20 minutes sometimes. Oh, wow. So Whoa. it has its own, yeah. <laughs> so it has its own form of intensity, but the intensity is to stay and to be. Um, and with yin yoga, you're, it comes from Chinese medicine. Uh, that's where the philosophy of yin yoga comes from. So you're working on the meridian lines in the body. Uh, so each pose will stimulate um, potentially a, the heart meridian, say, or the liver meridian. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's actually a really good practice if you do a lot of high intensity, because it also gives your muscles that time to relax. And you're working into the fascia of the body. So you're really getting into that uh, mm -hmm. part of the body. And you're also really getting into the parasympathetic nervous system because we're so, you know, that's what we really would love to nurture in this, in our really fast paced world. So yin works really well as a balance to um, high intensity. I think, I mm -hmm. think there's always a place for both. Um, but yin yoga can be really, it's actually quite a hard practice in the sense that it can, it can be intense to hold, hold certain poses for a long time. You know, it's oh, like, yes. It looks relaxing from the outside maybe, but actually, and a lot comes up mentally as well because you're holding a pose for a long time and then, you know, stuff is triggered because you have nowhere to go. You just have yourself. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, but it's a perfect yoga practice if you want to learn meditation and just being with yourself. It's really good because it's a bit of a gateway to that because you're in a pose, so you're doing something, but your mind has to be there because it can't really you know it, it can't really go anywhere else while you're in that apart from in your mind you know you're thinking over things but yeah, yeah. I've, I've only taken one or two yin yoga classes and it was just like through an app or something so I didn't really have anyone else to go through it with per se but it's it's so challenging for the mind and the body you're right like mm -hmm. to hold a pose for an extended period of time I mean when I'm teaching people often they want to move so quickly because it's easier to move quickly mm -hmm. yeah, uh, sometimes true. rather than holding that engagement or trying to hold your balance or hold your core upright you know so you, the the challenge yeah. of the physical and mental again it's it's the balance of everything and and I think that's beautiful so kind of a question if you said that you were someone who um, was a little bit more go, go, go before, were you a yoga instructor before teaching like a vinyasa or more fast paced yoga? And then you transi transitioned to yin yoga as yeah. your life transitioned? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what happened. So I trained as a vinyasa teacher seven years ago. Um, and I really enjoyed it to begin with. I really enjoyed teaching vinyasa, but what happened with teaching yoga, I was living in London at the time and I had my own, um, yoga kind of social enterprise you could call it mm -hmm. and I was running across London teaching different classes at different either different charities I was teaching or my own kind of personal classes mm -hmm. and I was also working part-time and I was studying another course so I ended up burning out <laughs> teaching yoga and I was like wait a minute <laughs> I didn't train <laughs> I didn't train to become a yoga teacher in order to like lose my own self-care and right. yoga practice um and I ended up actually not really, I fell out of love with yoga for, for about a year. I, I still practiced on and off, but I was a little bit like, I need to come back to myself. Mm. Um, and then I trained to be a florist, actually. So Ooh. I started working with my hands and I really enjoyed working with Nate, like being with flowers and working in with nature, which is how I kind of came to herbalism eventually. But um, and then I, I did a few more yoga courses and I kind of ended up down the yin path. Um, and I really resonate with teaching yin. It feels like I'm in the right place. Um, I think after working in a, 
as a, in a busy florist as well in central London I also kind of I think with me I have this characteristic of go 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 until I mm. I used to until I kind of can't go and then I have to shift my energy slightly yeah. and now I'm learning to harness um being able to maintain a steady rhythm instead of putting all of my energy into one one thing um and yin has really helped with that um and actually studying herbalism has really helped as well because it it's helped me look after myself so I can give to others. Yeah. Which before I think I was doing without really taking care of myself, which I think a lot of us do. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I had um a coworker once and she was talking to me about compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. And I think that wow. happens with a lot of different people, but when you're a teacher of sorts, <clears throat> you know, you give yourself. Right so much to your classes to your clients and and I know that yeah. this um spreads itself to different focuses and different careers as well but she always told me to to kind of be careful for myself that I didn't go into that yeah. compassion fatigue and what you are speaking speaks so clearly to me just when you were talking about going to different studios and also kind of having your own thing and then also kind of having a job I mean I looked at Paula and I was just like, I was like, oh, my God, like, I, I resonate with that so hard. And I think a lot of trainers and a lot of people in the fitness industry resonate with that a lot, too, because you feel like you always need to say yes to a client. You feel like you, yeah. you know, in order to maintain either your presence or mm-hmm. your livelihood, even, you know, because you may not be able to live off of the one gym that you work at. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's really easy to spread yourself really thin when it comes to, I think, training uh, amongst everything else that, you know, people deal with in life, whether yeah. they're trainers or not. Right. Um, yeah, it's really true. So how, since you do have the experience with the more fast-paced yoga, the more fast-paced life, how has yin yoga strengthened your body more? Because a lot of people may have a perception that, that you know, it's only those high-intensity workouts that uh, apply strength to the body or apply you know challenges to the body um I wouldn't say it would I mean with yin yoga you're not really you would strengthen I would say you're more strengthening your mind and you're probably more working on if you're working on the meridians and the internal and the fascia so you you wouldn't necessarily be building muscular strength Mm -hmm. doing yin yoga um but you will be obviously having other benefits um which I've mentioned before, but I think if you want, if you're going down the path of muscular strength or strengthening your body, it's, it's probably not the right practice, but I think in a, a combination of the two is really good because you're not going to, by doing yin and being more mindful, you're less likely to injure yourself doing another form of exercise, whether it's, you know, vinyasa class or a high intensity workout. Because you're more aware. I think it makes you really aware of your body. Right. Yeah. Oh, and that's that's of the most importance. I train Paula. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if you know, but Paula is one of my personal clients. And yeah. I'm always bringing her back. I'm like, check in with yourself. Mm-hmm. Have you lost your focus? Have you lost your mindfulness? So, yeah, it is really easy to lose that. Um, yeah. And so do you think yin yoga is something that, you know, is easy for someone to kind of drop into I, I I'm assuming it's not because like you said it's the mind discipline even more than the physical discipline but sometimes I find that you know maybe if you drop into an app some things are a little more challenging to feel connected to versus an in-person class or something do you think st- people could still kind of reap all those benefits and and learn yin yoga from this um, more online platform I think so. Yeah, I think it really depends on the teacher. So for me, I don't know if this is the same for you. But I if I find a teacher I really resonate with, I'm more likely to enjoy the practice, no matter which form of yoga it is. So it is about finding someone who resonates with you. And and it has to make sense to you. So whatever their philosophy is, or some some teachers are really anatomy focused, for example. So if that's really your if you're really interested in anatomy and how the body works and what you're working, that teacher will resonate. I, I'm personally much more of a spiritual t- yoga teacher when I teach and I use a lot of um, uh, kind of language is really important to me and I like people to feel kind of like they're going on a bit of a journey in a yoga class so that's my approach which won't work for everyone 
Um, so I think with yin, it's the same as, as anything, like maybe just try different teachers, different classes. I think Zoom Zoom classes and online are actually really great. I I love lots of I love lots of teachers online, but it's so different. I think for the first time it might be a bit hard. If you're doing yin for the anything for the first time, you know, via an right. online platform, it's it's harder to resonate with it because you don't really get that full person experience. But um yeah, I think um, also there are classes that are yin and yang. So because I also trained in vinyasa, I, you know, I offer yin and yang, which is quite nice mm. because you can kind of start a bit more fiery and then go into yin at the end, which is really relaxing as well. And I think that combination might work better for someone who's starting with yin. And then if you really like the yin, you could try a longer class, you know? It's, yeah. it's about finding, I think, what works. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially, you know, I find... Um that the energy of a yoga class is so nice. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love the energy of a, of a hit class or something, but the energy of a yoga class to, to um, tap into yourself with kind of people around, I always really enjoyed. And, but I guess maybe doing it online is kind of, it could be a new part of the discipline. It could be a new part of the challenge of feeling, you know, like you could tap into yourself or tap in, uh, settle into yourself rather without necessarily the motivation of people around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think yin can be harder at home sometimes because we're so distracted. I was just thinking how distracted you can be in your own home because you can be thinking, Oh, I need to do that thing. or oh, I haven't done that thing. Right. Whereas if you're in a yoga studio, you can't just get up halfway through and go and do something else. You're, right. kind of, you're there. So it's like, I think that you do have to, I would say also maybe with that to start with a half hour yin class because I know that some teachers or some online platforms offer shorter classes and then build it because I think maybe going into an hour or so of yin might be a bit much if if you don't if you don't resonate with it that much yeah. or if it's your first time. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great suggestion. I mean, that's a that could be such a great suggestion for anyone. I guess also starting a fitness journey is mm-hmm. you don't always have to start at the max no you could get the I think benefits still yeah and also because we live in such a fast-paced world I think the problem is people go into yin yoga with a competitive attitude and it doesn't really work with yin because you're only in competition you know if you push your body too hard you're just going to injure yourself and you need to you need to kind of know your edge with yin and not because you're holding it for so long so you have to be more aware of softening into yourself and being compassionate and saying okay I need to back off a little bit and Yeah, I think I need to practice some yin yoga. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, honestly, that maybe Paul and I were just talking about goals or intentions for the next year. And that may fully become my intention because I need to uh, learn how to channel that. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, But going a bit more like segueing a bit more away from the yoga and into your herbalism. And then and then I know Paula has a bunch of interesting things she wants to ask you, but um, we, you kind of hit on it a little bit, but just to uh, reiterate real quick, the, the main differences, would you say, between medicinal herbalism versus the folk herbalism? I know you talked kind of just about the, I guess the lack of intuition or lack of magic associated, but is there like more to it that makes it so different, especially for someone who doesn't know herbalism very well? Yeah, so um, from my perspective, uh, this is just my opinion on it, because everyone will probably have a slightly different one. Um, Medical herbalism is, it exists in the UK, and I believe Australia. um, And it's, it's a university course that you can do similar to doing a BA in biochemistry or something. And um, it's really set out in a at the end of the course, you you see patients, so you, you kind of almost become similar to a doctor, but with in the realm of herbs um so it's quite a rigorous kind of scientific training Mm -hmm. so we have we have courses on pharmacology we have human science we have um herbal tradition which does go more into the folklore so we interweave folklore throughout the medical herbalist course but in the uk you can actually practice herbalism and you can treat people for specific diseases even though herbalism is a holistic practice so you always treat the person not the disease it's still you can claim you know if someone comes to you for for a specific issue you can give them herbs for that whereas I believe in America and other countries like France you're not really allowed to make claims that herbs 
treat specific conditions mm-hmm. um, due to legislation. Um, so folklore herbalism, folklore herbalism is, is well, all herbalism has an element of folklore or all herbalism came from folk herbalism originally because we all grew up with plants mm-hmm. about human, <laughs> so it's more about the wise woman tradition, the kind of, it's like knowing, being it with plants and some people, for example, really feel like they know which plant to use just by spending time with plants. Mm-hmm. People have that kind of spiritual connection. Other people just, um, there's a lot of books on herbalism that you can learn and you can make stuff at home. So folk herbalism is a lot more accessible because everyone can use herbalism, but it just depends how, what your claims are, I suppose, behind it. And medical herbalism uses a lot of science, scientific um, research to back up its, its claims. Otherwise it wouldn't really be allowed to be practiced. Right. So those are kind of the main differences from my perspective, but everyone has obviously different opinions, I think on this. Yeah. So when I was going through my courses, um, you know, here in the U.S., we can't even as herbalists, there's no governing board. Technically, there's a few like national organizations that will give you a quote unquote certificate afterwards. But you go through your courses and, um, you know, you always have to mention that in the United States, herbalists um, aren't governed by any kind of medical board. You know what we're offering or what we're mentioning is just, you know, um, kind of more informational, educational than medical advice, which makes it a little more difficult. You know, we have things like nature paths. So I think a a nature path is probably the closest to what you're Mm. discussing. Um, Yeah. But coming from that kind of more medical uh, university side of things, did you have some of the same basics? Like when I went through, we talked a lot about like herbal energetics and that was a lot, it had a lot to do with not diagnosing, but looking at maybe a client or someone and figuring out what herbs would be best because of their herbal, their energetic properties. And also, you know, um, the constitution of the patient or the, the client. Is that something that um, you also had some courses in? Not yet, unfortunately. <laughs> um, actually, the herbal path here in Portugal um they she works a lot more with energetics so I have been introduced to it but it's not part of the curriculum so far on my medical herbalist course it may be at some point um but no which is sad (laughs) yeah I, I think it's such a great kind of intuitive way to look at things because we were discussing this and um you know when you're looking at certain things that are polar a little bit of polar opposites like hot cold dry moist you know tense or lax and you're looking at those as like what the the constitution of the body or the tissue components of like a localized um you know condition might be versus the constitution of the person in general you know like danielle's more of a cold she's always wearing a sweater type of person i'm more of a hot you know can walk around in a t-shirt in 40 degree weather um yeah, you know, type of thing. So you look at all of these different things, which is really neat. And it made me think of that because I was looking and uh, one of the books that you had posted about, um, Thus Spoke the Plant. Uh, oh, yeah. That was such great a great book. I thought it was so neat because it does totally talk about like how herbal energetics is almost like the personality of the plant. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And also she, it's a really interesting book because she is based in everything she's doing is based in like rigorous research and science but it's really it's really like spiritual and and also has this element that the plants have their own yeah their personalities they and they also want us to know about them I found that really interesting this aspect that the plants are really guiding us it's really the plants that are our teachers not not us right um and I really I really I really like that kind of approach um in terms of the energetics and constitution, we do, we do, I suppose we do look at constitutional types, but mm. it's not so, I think maybe as we progress through the course, it might become more of a thing. But to be honest, I think sometimes you have to find what is your speciality when you're studying something as well, and then dive deeper into it with, with this kind of thing. Cause there's right. so many aspects of herbalism. Mm-hmm. Do you find that, um, you know, taking away from the folk herbalism, going more into the medicinal, that it's 
treating herbs as like you said, pulling out those specific components within an herb to then make medicine. Is it more going to that like chemical clinical side of, um, you know, using herbs as a treatment or suppression of something like, oh, I have a runny nose because, you know, it's cold outside or I have um, a fever. And we're so often in America pushed to suppress symptoms that are actually our body's way of just working out whatever is wrong with us and they shouldn't necessarily be suppressed. But from um, what I've seen, a lot of people use herbalism as ways just like they would at actual, you know, clinical medicine to suppress a lot of those symptoms. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good point because herbalism is actually more about, and this is also what I've learned from studying herbalism for a couple of years is it's, it's more about taking care of yourself with the herbs Mm. kind of daily, weekly as a support. And then once you get ill, there are certain herbs you can use, but they, I mean, most herbalists would never, um, even medical herbalists in the UK, they, they do use the whole plant and the whole herb. It's just scientific studies that talk about the constituents, but um, they will still, so most people will go to see a herbalist in the UK once they're already ill. Mm. And then this, then, then the herbalist has to work backwards and find out what their lifestyle is like, because it's not just, it's, 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 it's addressing the root cause herbalism. It's not just putting a bandaid on it and saying, okay, uh, you take this thing and then you feel better. It's like, well, no, there's, there's work to be done at, at the root. And I think medical herbalism still, still has that approach, but I think that um, they just use scientific research to back up which herbs they use. Um, but yeah, I really agree that we basically live in a society where until we're sick, we don't do anything for our health, but actually we should do it. It should be inverse. It should be the other way around, right? right? That we're always looking after our health and then we don't end up too sick, but preventative measure. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 But also just it should, like for the self-care, for example, that's kind of how I view self-care because it's, it's just making sure I stay reasonably well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that. You know, um, self-care practices on a daily basis for some people. We've had a guest on the show that mentioned um, just intuitive eating. And when you're looking at maybe diet culture in America and other things where people are so obsessed with uh, macronutrients of like, oh, I need to get this many carbs or this much protein. How do you make eating, you know, a self-care kind of approach? And then you, you know, what kind of things do you do in terms of self-care to kind of make that happen uh, daily? Yes, I'd love to know. So actually my self-care routine did improve a lot during lockdown, the first lockdown with COVID. I mean, it was always kind of in place, but then I had more time to really think about it. So I used it as a slight like mini retreat at home because I was always at home. So Mm -hmm. I was like, what can I do to help my mental health and to make sure I'm physically well so I don't feel as scared and anxious about everything that's going on. So, I mean, for me, I think rituals is a really important word for me. And I know we don't like the word routine often, but I also find routine is really helpful when it comes to self-care because it, but it has to be things you enjoy. So there's like this element of fun, but also ritual and routine. Um, and self-care for me, I think the main thing I would always emphasize is to start the day well. Um, because if you don't start the day that way, I mean, you can turn things around. I mean, if you, if you're quite mindful, you can always take 10 minutes and turn things around in the day. But if you start your day really rushed and harassed and doing 50 things, Mm -hmm. likelihood your day will continue that way. So I, I have quite a like specific morning ritual and routine where I'll, wake up I often meditate first thing I always prepare my own like I don't I always eat slowly mindfully and with my partner sitting down at a table and I always have lemon water um first thing before I eat anything um and I have two dogs so we often walk them and that's time in nature for me which is really important and then often I'll try and do some kind of movement at the moment I'm really into pilates so pilates is a big thing I'm doing or I'll run or I'll do some yoga. And this this is like maybe a little bit longer than some people have in the morning because <laughs> this does take like, this does take a couple of hours. So, you know, if, if someone said to me, which one would you like? <laughs> yeah, I mean, meditation or, or just taking a few, few minutes, even, I don't even know if you have to call it meditation. You could even sit up and just journal for like 
just taking a little bit of time before you um, rush into a day. And I also heard somewhere recently that everyone wakes up quite grumpy. Like, it's actually quite normal not to wake up and be like, woohoo, yeah, a new day. <laughs> and I was like, oh. oh that explains a lot. Uh, <laughs> and, like, everyone wakes up, like, slightly. No one is – it's it's a quite unusual to wake up and be, like, already in a good headspace. So, actually, it's up to us to kind of shift into that higher kind of conscious and, like, be in a nice – good headspace to start your day because then you won't react so much to the things happening you'll already have formed your own protection around what's like your own little bubble which is like kind of how I view it um but yeah I have loads of other stuff that I can talk about but that for me the main thing would be the morning and starting well if you can and it doesn't have to be a long time it can be short but yeah I I notice a difference if I take like even just five minutes mm-hmm. to sit and breathe in the morning before my day starts than when I don't. Um, yeah. And you mentioned how you may have more time than other people, but I think that goes along with maybe the message you're giving. Maybe, you know, not everyone, people have different lifestyles and, mm-hmm. and have different demands and different needs, of course. Um, and maybe someone can't necessarily slow down right now, but you almost create the life Mm-hmm. and the space to slow down you know yeah maybe you, you your your afternoon is is more packed and other people's afternoon is less packed because their morning's more packed but to you that morning is so paramount that you know you've created a lifestyle that's going to allow you mm-hmm. to have that space yeah. to slow down so I think that's part of it like choosing choosing Which, the life yeah there's a there and I think because oh go ahead Oh, just because I'm I'm naturally quite an overthinker and I'm prone to anxiety. So for me, it sets up the day where I, then I'm not going into the day in that anxious state. I'm already, I've already calmed my nervous system down slightly. So I think that that's, if you're kind of a, I don't know if you know much about the Ayurvedic types, but I'm a Vata type naturally. So I'm quite like, I'm quite quick and like always moving. So it's good for me. It's like, you know, so it's good for me to ground and like really root in in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. Well, even just like you mentioned, having uh, water with lemon in it. I bet there's a ton of people who wake up in the morning, um, who don't, you know, just, that is so good for the mind and the body just to flush your system with some lemon water. As soon as you wake up before you eat anything, you know, hydrate yourself before you grab that first cup of coffee for those who just grab coffee and they're grumpy and they're running off. You know, I've been there. I've definitely done that. Um, and you know, from what you've said, it sounds like, you know, the busy lifestyle that you used to have, you know, what was really the, the turning point of, you know, what steps did you start to take first? Like if there was people out there that were like, okay, I'm living this crazy busy lifestyle. I want to transition into what she's mentioning here. Um, what kind of first steps, advice, anything like that? Well, what I did might not be for everyone because it was a bit dramatic. So I actually stopped working in the job I was working in. So I mean, it, it really style. depends because I I was working I was working in a busy florist in London and I it was very long it was long hours we were on our feet all day and I loved it because it really suited me but I was also really tired like I was bone tired and I was like wait a minute there's something off here I need to like go back to myself and actually it coincided with me and my partner moving to Amsterdam because he's Dutch so I kind of had to leave the job anyway but then once we're in Amsterdam. I was looking for work and building my own like my own freelance work again and suddenly I had more time (laughs) so I was like oh so let me focus on the things that I find important and that are um important like that are going to make fulfilling things that will enrich my life Mm -hmm. is kind of how I what I put my focus into and um so I do think if you're finding it if you're in a really busy fast-paced life it can be harder to kind of stop and I don't, sometimes you have to have the realization before you can integrate slower slower practices I think you have to really want to if you don't want to slow down I don't, I don't think you're going to be able yeah. to um but I I mean my first advice would be to find to find something you really actually enjoy because I used to not like seated meditation so I would I tried walking meditation I tried uh, chanting. I still really like chanting. So I would now I meditate with mantras because it works for me because for some reason that's that's how it works. Mm-hmm. But like other people might love visualization meditation. Mm-hmm. Other people 
um dancing even just dancing on your own like in just putting some music on and just free free movement can be really meditative it doesn't have to be I'm gonna sit on a cushion and right. meditate um a lot of people find that hard oh yeah so, oh so God, I really yeah. I always <laughs> emphasize like the, find the joy in in or some people love writing or even reading just like in instead in the morning like start the day reading a few pages of a book you're really enjoying just so your mind is is on something other than what you're going to have to do for the rest of the day, which is overthink or be in your head. Right. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, um, I think that whole mindset has really come out in this newer generation. You know, everybody bags on millennials a lot of the time, but there's this awareness coming around where, you know, it's not working the nine to five just because you need to work the nine to five and the for blueprint. 40 years for the right. rest of your life just because yeah when, yeah that's true you know it's like when 70 to 80 percent of your day is spent making money for somebody else around people that aren't your loved ones or your friends that makes you tired you know all this it's like reevaluate this is your life you know it doesn't matter if you know you could hop from job to job to job if you don't like it it's not suiting your life then do it. You know, there's no reason. Yeah. And there's so much pressure around this go, go, go all the time. And what are you doing? And oh my God, it's almost like a, a badge of honor. It seems the more exhausted you are. Oh yeah. Especially for women. Yeah. Right. There's like this yeah. human giver syndrome for women of like, if you're not doing 20 million things, your skin doesn't look gorgeous and you're not exhausted at the end of the day, <laughs> crying in a corner. Who are you? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. We really glorified, uh, busyness in our in our world and I really I just actually find it it's actually quite hot I just I find it kind of weird that that's where we've ended up I'm like when when you kind of start to slow down when you see other people glorifying busy it becomes slightly on you it becomes odd and you're like hmm why have we how did we get here yeah. <laughs> um I mean one of my teachers said you know we're not human doings we're human beings and it's a simple difference but you know we can just be we don't actually like for some sometimes it's really hard to be bored everyone finds that so we reach for our phone or we reach for something to snack on and it's like you can be bored like it's okay to be bored actually our minds it's fine like actually you can be really creative if you allow yourself to be bored not that that's the end goal but we are obsessed with like being kind of distracted from our own selves I suppose Mm -hmm. so busy is a distraction Oh, yeah. I mean, every time I look around when I'm, you know, well, when I was at coffee shops, now we're not allowed to do that here. But uh, everybody was sitting there, they were obviously taking a little bit of time out of their day, but everybody's on their phone. And here I am looking out the window, looking at the ceiling, whatever it is. And it's just so interesting that people can't be alone with themselves long enough. You know, it's, it's just like, maybe it's a different word than bored that we should be using. But it's, it's really interesting how this constant stimulus needs to happen um, or we almost get anxious. Oh, yeah, I think that's, yeah, we do. I think that's been one of the biggest crises of the coronavirus other than just the mm-hmm. actual physical illness itself is just people having to sit with themselves mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. maybe try to find uh, worth in their day that's maybe separate from working 16 hours or, mm-hmm. you know, worth in themselves, I guess. So, you know, I think for a lot of people, just like you mentioned, it kind of gave a lot of people the time to focus and maybe zone in on on that they feel better, that they feel happier when they yeah. do slow down. But mm-hmm. I still think it, it's going to be a huge practice for people to try to discipline themselves enough to slow down. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but I think it's been a really good opportunity for people actually to connect with that idea that we can't, we we have to be kind of, sometimes there might be times where we have to be on our own or like we can't always go out to be stimulated or, Mm -hmm. and I think maybe it adds, for many people it's been a real growth period, even though it's exceptionally difficult for so many people. I think there's also this kind of overwhelming uh, feeling around the world that maybe good things can come from this because mm-hmm. people have learned a lot I think yeah uh, yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely I think there's been so much growth for people this mm-hmm. year I mean as it growth comes through our challenges right and so if you've been challenged I mean even literally even to just sit with yourself mm-hmm. if you're challenged to just be able to be in your home with yourself and you got through this year then that's you know that's something to be proud of and that's something that 
you know, maybe we're yeah. not realizing that we should be proud of mm-hmm. is that we were able to do that. Um, yeah. You had mentioned, though, that you are more of like a, um, a spiritual teacher, I guess, when you're going through your classes and stuff. And it had me wondering if you had any projects, <laughs> even though we're talking about slowing down. It did have me wondering if you had any projects going on right now or if you were offering any classes that people could keep their eyes open for, that we could keep our eyes out for. Um, so I haven't been teaching online as of yet, mostly because we've been moving. So it's been a bit hard for me to kind of establish myself here and get settled and I have my course. But I am starting to add stuff to my website now. So I'm starting to add programs that focus on using herbs and yin yoga as a combination. Um, And so that will be hopefully launching next year. Um, And I'm also opening my own herbal shop, which will mostly be teas and potentially tinctures. I'm still working on the kind of what I would like to offer at this point, because it takes a while to develop these things, but I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying that. Um, I personally prefer teaching in person like everyone yeah um so at first I was a little bit challenged by the online move but I'm I'm slowly getting there with it and I think it's something that I'm I I I kind of need to challenge myself to be able to and I am creating a platform where I will offer yin and herbs I think they go so well together (laughs) the practice of herbal medicine and yin yoga are quite very they're so complementary and I I think it would be really great for people to have that access to that all over the world as well oh my god yeah i cannot wait until we all have access to your to your information and to what you have to offer because i it just sounds just so lovely and it just sounds so like you said complementary to each other and complementary to just a wellness journey kind of as a whole and reconnecting yourself to nature and to and to plant medicine um so if people wanted to connect with you or, or follow you rather, follow your story, you know, keep up with the projects that you're working on and eventually your website, how can they do that? And where can people find you? Um, so I'm on Instagram at Amorous and Willow, which is my brand name. Um, do you want me to spell that? <laughs> yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, so it's A-M-A-R-I-S and Willow. Um, Amaris means child of the moon um, and willow is a moon uh, based tree so it's quite a feminine kind of I'm always actually yin is obviously the feminine and so I I often kind of a lot of what I do is often more to women (laughs) men are not you know but I'm I'm kind of you know self-care and often that's kind of my angle with stuff so yeah that's where I am on Instagram and then my website is beccawhelan.com nice I had one more for you, actually. <laughs> I just just out of curiosity, um, because I've talked to Paula about kind of the herbs she uses regularly, and I'm a like, I may as well be a preschooler when it comes to <laughs> herbs. I'm I'm really just trying to learn them, and I was just curious what kind of your favorite day to day herbs were, um, kind of your go to ones that you use. <laughs> And you don't have to name all of them, just maybe a couple that, that you know, yeah. <laughs> um, you use on a daily basis that, you know, maybe more uh, user friendly, I guess you could say. Yeah, sure. Um, so I love lemon balm. I think it's my probably my favorite herb currently. It's really good for anxiety. It's really good for calming. And it's just, it's a really, it tastes lovely. It smells lovely. It's just a herb that a lot of people connect with. Um uh what else at the moment chamomile again it's a really nice herb for these times it's very calming um I also work with mugwort but it's not a herb that you should use if you're pregnant um or breastfeeding so but it's really good for um again dream time and just connect so I I often have a lemon balm chamomile mugwort uh, tea before bed um Mm. Nettle is probably my all-time favorite. And I think nettle is really good for women as well because there's a lot of iron in nettle. And it's it's just a really abundant people view it as a weed, but it's such a it's such an amazing herb. So I think those would be my top for now. All right. I, very cool. I'm gonna look into some of those. Actually, lemon bomb grows around here. Lemon <laughs> bomb grows in my backyard. Really? Great. <laughs> I was looking at what you mentioned herb wise and it 
for some reason, and I, I'm not sure I'll have to look at this, but mugwort and teas before sleep sometimes induces like prophetic dreaming or things like that. Have you ever heard yeah. that? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I think um, so it, it can, I think it depends what's going on for you. Um, but yeah, it can, it, it, that's the kind of, but it can also induce deep sleep. Right. So I think it depends on how you use it in herbs and also what state you're kind of in maybe. Yeah, sometimes I find it does give me lucid dreams and other times I just sleep really well. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's bringing something to you in your sleep in one capacity. I think it gives you what it what you need. Yeah, it seems to be, you yeah. know, the more I talk to Paula, the more I talk, uh, you know, we talk about these things and I read up on these things as someone who's just beginning, like I said, it's, it's that reoccurring idea of plants showing up for you. Mm-hmm. You got to yeah. read the book. I'll get, yeah, by Monica. Yeah, they're literally like, once you start knowing that they're medicinal plants, they're just there. You're like, oh, a dandelion and they grow everywhere. <laughs> so it's like, you know, they're here to, they're kind of, I mean, someone said, I think I, someone was like, yeah, the herbs just follow you around <laughs> because they don't, they don't, they don't let us get rid of them. Right. Like, no. Good. Well, we need them. And, you know, obviously we've been yeah. around and useful for so long. I mean, we all should kind of be able yeah. to come back to that and, and uh, be able to come back to nature and come back to ourselves, I guess. Yeah. And I think the the main thing is, is that people should, I hope people realize that herbs are accessible to everyone and that it's not such a, I think people get a little bit scared or put off by using herbs and actually it, it's really natural and normal for humans to work with plants. So I think that that's something that people would kind of, it's good if people start re- realizing that or remembering that again. Yeah. yeah. Like that remembering aspect of it where it's kind of taking the power back for your health and wellness. And I really enjoy that. And kind of, I guess, trusting yeah. yourself and, Trusting nature. I guess there's a, you guys both have mentioned it, an intuitive aspect to working with herbs. And sometimes, you know, that's what we, at least for me, I feel very disconnected. Unfortunately, that's something I'm trying to cultivate is the connection to my intuition. And it does play a hand in the herbal, the herbalism I try to incorporate into my life. So, you know, it all comes back around. Well, Becca, this was so, so (laughs) lovely. Thank you so much for calling and taking the time with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, really great to get to know you. Yeah, it's very wonderful. Looking forward to following you on Instagram and seeing all the wonderful things you'll be doing. And I know uh, Danielle and I are really uh, probably going to be some of your first students as soon as you get those online courses going. Yeah. Yeah, we'll send you the video of us. Um, managing to get through one of your young classes, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you'll enjoy them. Oh, I have no doubt. Well, again, thank you. And I hope you have, I guess it's evening there. I hope you have a most wonderful yeah. rest of your night. Yeah, great. Enjoy your day. Thank yeah, you. Thanks, thank Becca. You. Have a good one. Bye. And just as a reminder, any ideas or topics discussed during this podcast should not be a replacement for any type of medical advice. Although Danielle is a certified trainer and I have a knowledge of herbal medicine, any decision to incorporate an exercise or herbal remedy is always your own.